Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallet. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. And together we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast. And today it's one of my favorite kinds of episodes. It's the first part of our two-part look back at 2022, the movie year. We're going to start by doing our top 10 movies of the year. I think 2022 has been a very good year. You know, we had COVID in 2020. That was not the best year. Still some very good stuff. And I feel like since then, the quality of movie year has only gone up. You know, 21 was a little better than 20. And then I think 22 has been the best of all. You guys agree or disagree with that? I agree 100%. I agree, except for the late summer period of this year. Yeah, they really got to do something about August. I think the top of this year was quite strong. And there was a lot of mediocre stuff. Like, this was the year of me like not liking things that I expected to like, which is not in my favor, but it happens. I was disappointed in quite a few things this year. You know, I, I think we mentioned on other shows, the spring was quite excellent. The Northman, Ambulance, X, all this kind of stuff. And then, like you said, the summer was really quite horrific. That is becoming like the new February is, is late July and August. And the fall been a mixed bag but you know what i loved about this year is that every time i went to watch something every time i sat in a theater or even at home i said to myself i'm gonna appreciate this experience for what it is i'm gonna talk about a little bit about the box office hits for 2022 because it's been such a fascinating relationship between viewership and post-covid years right and even leading up to it i myself have been effective there have been many times where i just go I know this thing is going to be on HBO Max, or I know it's going to be on Peacock in a few weeks. I'm just going to wait until then. And I think that had a lot to do with like day and day release, you know, streaming and theater. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but it was day release in theaters and on streaming for Halloween ends, right? Yes. Which I thought was strange. Because, you know, you figure that thing is going to make some money no matter what. I don't know if they just wanted people to get on Peacock or if it was like a previous contractual thing. But I think they you know. knew what they had on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to like this. <laughs> let's, let's not make the people suffer. <laughs> I like that you think they have that, that much human faith in people and don't just want their money. That's a good one. Number one domestic box office movie for 2022. You know, I I really didn't think this happened, but it did. Top Gun Maverick. You guys love that one. It seems that every single person on the earth saw it about three times. <laughs> you know, it, it's exciting. I mean, it, it still is like, I feel like people don't say this that much. It still is like a 40 years later sequel to something. So it is something we've all kind of like been decrying but we like forget about it for Top Gun Maverick. I, well, I didn't mind that. They much. did it well. You know, you can do this if you do it well. Yeah. Most of these movies aren't doing it well. That's true. We are getting a, a new Transformers movie in 2023. So. <laughs> but, but so, so what exactly is the definition of well in this context, though? Like, you're still making a good movie, but it's not just the same movie, and you're not rehashing it so bad that, like, it just makes it awful. I mean... I thought that's kind of what Top Gun was, but I'm not, no, I'm not yeah, here to say Top I, I Gun. thought so. I mean, it was basically Star Wars with fighter jets, but it's fine. Everybody loves Star Wars. Or a lot of people like Star Wars. I mean, it, it is Star Wars, but it, it's not a sequel to Star Wars, so it's fine. You can no. take some elements from it. Uh, we'll all agree. I think it's a cool thing that Top Gun Maverick was such a big hit and that people really liked it and went back several times. Uh, Black Panther, as expected, that was number two. Doctor Strange was number three. And then Avatar. Do you want, guys want to guess number five? This is, I would say, the number one movie that I just keep forgetting came out in 2022. Take a guess. I don't know. Think hard. Jurassic oh, World, Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion. I hate that, that you made me remember five. that movie's existence. I keep forgetting about it. It just—it felt like forever ago. How did number that six. movie make that much money? 
It's Jurassic World, man. It, you know, the, these are all the titles, right? The Marvel movies, Avatar, Jurassic World. Number six, thanks to the gentle minions, was Minions The Rise of Gru. People love that thing. <laughs> and then the Batman, Thor, Spider-Man, No Way Home. I'm assuming from the rollover from the winter and from the re-release in September. Matt, did you ever see the re-release? I did not. With the... Oh, I was wondering how that was. And then Sonic 2 was number 10, which I really like Sonic 2, so that was good. This was also the year of two-and-a-half-hour or more movies. Mm -hmm. I would say that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, like Tyler was talking about with long-made sequels. As long as you do it well and you, you deserve the time, that's good. But here's what we got. Babylon, Everything Everywhere was pretty close to that. Mm -hmm. RRR, The Fableman's Tar, Bardo, Triangle of Sadness, Decision to Leave was very close. Elvis, Avatar, Black Panther, Jurassic World, The Batman, All Quiet on the Western Front was very close. So many movies that were hitting that mark. And I would say um, maybe one-third of those actually needed to be that long. <laughs> and that's like a generous estimate. Yeah, and also you can't include Babylon in that because it absolutely didn't. No, it, it did. No. It did. Babylon's <laughs> going to come up later. Uh, we're going to start with me, then go to Tyler, then to Matt. But before I go, I just want to ask you guys, was it difficult to make your top tens for this year? It absolutely was. Mm -hmm. 100%. <laughs> I agree. Was it? Did you have trouble filling out like a certain section, like the top or the bottom, or was it just kind of the whole thing? It was kind of the whole thing of like what deserves to be up here. And like mm -hmm. I'm looking at it and I'm like, maybe they don't, but like these are the ones that are like stuck with me and I remember and they left lasting on me and I enjoyed them enough. There are several that are in my top twenty that aren't in my top ten that I that I dislike couldn't make the top ten simply because of there only being ten spots. Mm-hmm. Um but overall, it's it's been, it's that that just goes to show how good of a year it's been. Yeah, I agree. In in fact, you know, I am a person who says I like lists, like top tens, top fives, whatever. I do feel the numbers are a little arbitrary, and I really don't believe in not highlighting a movie just because it might be number eleven or twelve. You know what I mean? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you guys the movies that I really liked from this year. I won't describe them all in full, but I'll just name them. So I really liked and I think is worth watching all of these. A Love Song, a Dale Dickey West Studi romance, very sweet movie. You guys know that every year I have a spot for like a really quiet drama that just like I really, really like. And I think this was it for me this year. A Love Song, Fall. Tyler and Mai's greatest theater experience <laughs> of the whole year, starring a vulture who is scared out of its mind. Go watch it's it, it's such a wild time. Go watch Fall. Also, like a huge step forward for deep faking in movies, so they could get all the f words out of it. Didn't um didn't that come out in like August? It did. That was probably the best movie of August, uh... and I didn't know what it was the day that we saw it so i was like you want to see this yeah whatever i believe i believe we saw it only based on the knowledge that they had to deep fake all the f-bombs that's all we knew and i couldn't tell i mean i wasn't looking that closely but i couldn't i was too busy looking at the the the, the drone that was the little sidekick r.i.p watcher chloe okuno's thriller thriller uh very paranoid drama. Really like that one. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. We have a whole episode on that. Bardo, I really like. The Whale, Hatching, a Finnish horror movie. You can watch that on Hulu. If you're interested in something that's a little different and you're a scary fan, I would definitely watch Hatching on Hulu. The Bad Guys, animation is super cool. Really like that movie. Hope it gets nominated for Best Animated Feature. The Northman, really liked. Prey. I think we all were really big fans of the uh, the Predator prequel, I would say. That's on Hulu as well. Fire Island, romantic comedy. Wasn't expecting that one. Really liked it. Sonic 2, had an absolute blast at. Didn't like Sonic 1, and then I love Sonic 2. And they at the very end, they only made me much more excited for Sonic 3. Sundown. Paul Schrader. Directed by Paul Schrader. And hopefully I won't see the same weird, creepy old guy that was in my theater for Sonic 2. <laughs> <too. laughs> 
Sundown is like a cool Tim Roth drama, really weird. Kimmy, Zoe Kravitz, and Steven Soderbergh, HBO, again, kind of thriller-ish thing. Really like that one. The Black Phone, Vengeance, The Fablemans, Hustle was very good. Hustle, also Adam Sandler getting a, a SAG nomination for his work in Hustle. That was interesting. I wasn't expecting that, but it's deserved. Wendell and Wild, the craziest animation I've seen. Ambulance, the biggest rip-roar in time at the movies. And Turning Red, the Pixar movie. Loved it. It was very different. It's a step forward for Pixar, and I thought it was great. Here are my hard cuts. There were some movies that I was about to put on this list against some others, and I wasn't quite sure, but I just went for some that I wanted to highlight. So here are the ones that I had to cut. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Again, 10 is an arbitrary number. This is still on my list of favorites from this year. Very sweet, pretty sad, but also pretty funny at the same time. And I love the mix of animation and live action. Deep Water. I loved it. The return of Adrian Lyne. Like, Adrian Lyne, make a movie every year. You have to save the erotic thriller because it's dying. <laughs> Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Great movie, I think, for adults and kids alike. Apollo Ten and a Half, Richard Linklater's movie. Again, this was a big year for filmmakers looking back on childhoods. And Apollo Ten and a Half, I mentioned on another episode, was like, I just like sunk into the movie so deeply that when a certain part of it ends, I was just like, remembered that I was in reality. Really like that one. That one's on Netflix if you're interested. Emily the Criminal, also on Netflix. And my last hard cut was RRR. This will come up again later. But if, I, if you told me that RRR is the best movie of 2022, I'd have a very hard time arguing with you. It's another three-hour epic, but like it's really one that uses its total story time. It is really incredible. You should watch it on Netflix. Okay, now for my actual list. My number 10 is a movie called Resurrection. This is Andrew Siemens' movie about a woman who is very much in charge of her life, She's a successful business professional. She's a single mother to a teenager. But then a man from her past comes back into her life and she spirals out of control. You can watch it on AMC+. And if you're in the mood for a disturbing thriller, this is the movie for you. It's so unsettling. The hold that the man has over the protagonist is so fascinating and sick. I haven't seen really many things like this in recent years. Rebecca Hall is outstanding in this. Like Mia Goth and Pearl... She also gets a long close-up monologue that explains a lot and complicates so many things in the movie. She plays like both mental and physical deterioration perfectly. In a perfect world, Rebecca Hall would be getting Oscar attention as well as Mia Goth. The movie is fantastic regardless, so it doesn't matter. Tim Roth and Grace Kaufman are also great. This one leaves a stamp on your mind. The psychology is so crazy. Loved Resurrection, so that's my number 10. Tyler, what about you? My number 10 is one you already mentioned, and that was Prey. So this one got my top 10 because I love the original Predator film. I love 80s action films uh, as my bread and butter. I love even the worst of them. So Predator is one of my favorite movies ever. And I've been waiting so long for a good movie to be put into that franchise since Predator. We had Predator 2, awful. AVP, awful. Uh, we had Predators, awful. We had whatever the one that was directed by uh, the guy who did Iron Man 3. Shane Black. Shane Black. The, the Predator. The Predator. So then what was... Oh yeah, The Predator, Predator. <laughs> yes. And all awful. All terrible movies in their own way. And I'm just like, how do you not get a good movie in this franchise? And Prey finally did what no one else could do. It gave us a good movie. I liked that they did a prequel. I, I loved it. The performances were incredible. I mean, like, the oh, I can't even remember his name. I feel bad. The, the main, the brother in the movie. I'll get it. Okay. Keep going. Well, he was working at TJ Maxx before he took this role. And he was phenomenal in this. Like, there's so many good roles in this. Just unsung actors in this that did phenomenal. It was so cool to see the Predator back, and it was so cool to see him against like a pre-modern age time period to see them fight this Predator. Dakota Beavers. Dakota Beavers. He did great. And mm -hmm. so an unknown guy that came on and held his weight and just in a franchise that needed a spark, 
this was it. And I hope they do continue to make them in the vein of this and they make good ones because I love Predator, so I'll go see what they put on screen. <laughs> I hope it's good. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that one. That was one of the ones that I that didn't make mine, but I do want to talk about it a little bit. I, I disagree with the discourse, the people freaking out about oh you know this 90 pound woman's fighting off this big huge predator it's like that's that's the point she it's not she's using ingenuity and creativity and alternative hunting skills to take him down instead of just take him on head to head it's 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 not subtle about that being her tactic and it's not that hard to believe that it works (laughs) and i just want to say that's the whole point of the predator franchise it's about someone who's cunning enough to take down the predator like, to be the right. ultimate hunter. That's the whole through if, line. If we had just, like, another 300-pound buff dude fighting off the Predator, then it's the same movie over again. But e- even then, even in the original Predator, when you had Arnold Schwarzenegger, he wasn't hand-to-hand fist fighting the Predator. True. He won because he used smart tactics of, like, hiding in the mud. So it's all about cunning and, yeah. like, using better skills than the Predator to beat them. So, like, it's dumb to be like, oh, she she couldn't beat him in a fist fight. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think no anybody one could. can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I yeah, Amber Mid Thunder is great in this. Yes, I was she just is phenomenal. Say. Yes. And Dan Trachtenberg too. I, between this and Ten Cloverfield Lane, really great director. I hope he makes more movies. Matt, what's your number ten? So my number ten is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Ah. Definitely one of my favorite theater experiences of the year, especially considering how entranced we all were by this movie by the end that nobody got up for like five minutes during the credits what do you mean i'm still in the theater (laughs) i have not left yet oh man it's it's very it's touching it's sweet it's funny it's somber but it's uplifting i think this is the only movie on my top 10 that we didn't cover as a full episode but since you already talked about it Mike, I'm not going to retread what you too much of what you said other than just I agree with everything you said about it. Um, Jenny Slate as Marcel was fantastic. Mar- Marcel. Marcel. <laughs> it's, it's just shorthand for the whole title, Marcel. <laughs> um, and it's just very cleverly written, brilliantly animated. Like It was very fun. A lot of the set pieces were really clever and ingenious and appealing to me um the whole family of shells at the end was really nice um you're absolutely I love the, right i love the little sh- her brother that was played by nathan fielder that was like sliding <laughs> yeah. down the wall <laughs> you're absolutely right i like that you raised that point is that they took like a house you know an ordinary house and they just turned it into its own separate almost alien world because of the perspective of the characters mm-hmm. and i thought that was great Fun fact, I also saw the same theater that we saw, the same, like, theater theater that we saw Marcel in. I saw Skinamarink in, which is just <laughs> two polar opposite movies. <laughs> Stay tuned for on another episode for Thoughts of Skinamarink. All right, awesome. Number 10 is Marcel the Shell. My number nine is a movie that I don't know anybody else who saw it, but that's not uncommon for my list. That's I Love My Dad. This is James Morosini's comedy, a semi-fictionalized version of what really happened to him. So in an effort to get closer to his son, an estranged father played by Pat Oswalt catfishes his adult son and has an intense online relationship with him as though he is a young woman. This is the most uncomfortably funny movie I've seen all year. I said it when I first talked about it. I was rolling around on my couch and yelling when I watched some of these scenes. At the same time, it's so heartfelt about the recovery of this young man's mental health and how he had to repair his relationship with his dad and how he had to forgive his dad, not just for his dad, but for himself so that he could move on with his life. Patton Oswalt is really awesome. James Morosini is so vulnerable playing a version of himself. Claudia Sluski is excellent as both the real woman that Oswald like, steals pictures from off of her Facebook or whatever. And she also plays the physical manifestation of the fictional woman that the dad makes up. This movie also does texting in such a creative way where if two characters have scenes where they're texting, they just do it dramatically. So like 
they'll be in the same room, even though in the reality they'll be like, you know, texting back and forth separately. Really liked it. This one, last time I checked, was also on Hulu. I think it's still there, but uh, I'll check. But really liked I Love My Dad. So that's my number nine. Tyler, what's your number nine? My number nine was The Menu. Uh, Mark Mylod directed Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy. This movie came out of nowhere for me. Like, I saw the trailers and it did nothing for me. And I was just kind of pushed it aside. I didn't think about it again. And then, like, it came time for it to come out. And I was like, okay, I'll see The Menu. And I was just, I really enjoyed it. Like, this was a fun time at the movies. So, um, it just kind of, this slow burn of like what's gonna happen next and you just kind of all these twists and turns it was just a fun thriller that i don't think gets made that much anymore um you don't see movies like this kind of doing well so i'm glad it did i think it did at least i believe it did pretty well um but it's just a fun time it was cute the story was just like kind of like you kept you guessing I love the call-outs to Brockton, Mass., my favorite city in Massachusetts. I don't. (laughs) Making all our Brockton listeners mad. (laughs) Brockton stand-up? No, but Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Ray Fiennes, everyone in this movie was incredible. And it was just fun to watch this all unravel. So it did make some money. It made more than double its budget. Mark Milad was such an interesting choice and director of this because... He's had a really successful TV career, directed a lot of Shameless. He's done Game of Thrones. He's done Succession. You know, his his film filmography before was interesting. He did the Ali G in the House movie. And then he did What's My, or is it What's, I can never remember. What's Your Number? Do you remember the the Anna Faris oh, comedy with Chris with, Pratt? Oh. No, Chris Evans. Was it Chris Evans? I believe it's Chris Evans. Oh, I saw something about this movie the other day. I think it was Chris Pratt. I swear to the Lord, it is Captain America. Oh, it was Chris Evans. Before he was the the first Avenger, yeah. But Chris Pratt was in it, though. Oh, he was in it. He was in a fat suit. I saw a clip of this (laughs) on, on like a random YouTube video today. Going from Ali G to What's Your Number to Game of Thrones to The Menu. What what a great career. That's I like that you can do all those different things. Yeah, The Menu is my number seven. I'll just talk about it now. I think it's massively entertaining. It's hilarious. If someone asked me what dark comedy is, I would just show them The Menu. Mm-hmm. I complained on our Glass Onion episode that I'm bored with Eat the Rich Stuff in movies in 2022. In this one, I didn't mind it because I found the writing so sharp. It was done by Seth Reese and Will Tracy. Each character was so distinct in their personality and often in their stupidity. Really liked it. I loved and am fascinated by the blocking and construction of the shoot because there are so many long scenes in this one dining room across many tables, across many groups of people. Like you said, Ray Fiennes is great. Hong Chow is a huge standout. Mm -hmm. She may get nominated for an Oscar for her role in the whale, and I think that's well deserved. I would just swap it. Out. I would just swap out Hong Chow for Hong Chow. I, or you could just do double just Hong Chow. Yeah, just yeah. give her both. Nicholas Holt. I, I thought he was outstanding in this. I thought Anya Taylor Joy was very good, despite her character. I thought was the least interesting for me. It's fine because you know she was a bit of a POV character, and we did learn some fascinating things about her later i was more focused on everybody else it was a modest hit and did bounce back from that early ad campaign where we were all like oh this is a cannibal movie all right yada 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 (laughs) but no it was really great so your number nine is the menu matt what is your number nine my number nine is top gun maverick i realize that's probably low compared to where a lot of other people might rank this one but there were just several movies that i liked better objectively so I had to put this one back at number nine, but it had a lot counting against it because I am, was now ne- never really a big Tom Cruise fan. Still not the biggest Tom Cruise fan. Um, softened a bit when we did our Tom Cruise spectacular around the time this time this movie came out. I really enjoyed it. It's a great nostalgia sequel that I think improves upon the original in most every way. I agree. Um, Obviously, the box office success reflects that a lot of people liked this one. Uh, for a Tom Cruise movie, I like that Tom Cruise wasn't 
necessarily the main focus like you would think. I, I mean, he's a big part of it, but I think a lot of the younger actors, the next generation, kind of get a lot of good time to shine in this movie as well. So I, yeah, uh, that's my number nine. I think you make excellent points all around. If you're not a Tom Cruise fan after that episode, there's nothing more I can do. I have nothing left to give. My number eight is X. This is Ty West Slasher about some pornographers renting a barn in rural Texas and running afoul of the elderly owners. It's fun. It's thrilling as hell. Very smart about the intersection of sexuality and violence, what we put our values in, what we demean. It's one of the only slashers I've seen to be emotional. I genuinely got sad over this old couple and the husband wants to please his wife and he can't do it. And like, (laughs) if anybody else had done this, I would have been like, what is going on? But in this, I was like, come on, Howie. You know, so... (laughs) Mia Goth is incredible in dual roles. The makeup on her is incredible. I like. Come on, I I don't think they got shortlisted for an Oscar, which is a crime. I haven't seen it since watching Pearl, so I think that will be a fun experience. We have a whole episode on this, and I suspect that it it'll be discussed later on. So, but that's my number eight is X. Tyler, what's your number eight? My number eight is one we already talked about, and that's Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, I just kind of want to add, I love this, like, mockumentary style of this. Such an endearing little creature they made, like, just this little shell with a googly eye. Uh, Shocked how much emotion that held. Shocked how many emotions it made me feel. And like you said, Matt, it was just a great theater experience. I really enjoyed it. Like, everyone was just kind of entranced and enjoying the moment. It was a really serene, kind of peaceful moment that, like, a lot of movies don't provide. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, what's your number eight? I had to put this one somewhere, but I, I my number eight is The Whale. Ah, okay. I, to be honest, when I first walked out of the theater for The Whale, I was a little bit indifferent. I wasn't, I mean, other than Brendan Fraser's performance, which anyone who sees the movie will should know exactly what I'm talking about or has heard anything about this movie knows that it's a Brendan Fraser vessel. Um, the story didn't really do a lot for me initially, but then uh, a few days went by, you know, I saw, I would see the trailer, you know, the preview and start thinking about, you know, the whole movie again. And it's something I'm kind of anxious to go back and watch again to reevaluate because I think there were a lot of hard hitting performances in this besides Brendan Fraser. Hong Chao was really fantastic in this as well i did like city sync in it um i just for the fraser performance alone i think this deserves all of the recognition for that at the very least so that's my number eight yeah i i think it's a fantastic movie i would love a cut where it's just all the fraser scenes not that i didn't think everybody else did a good job i was just not nearly as interested in those other stories my number seven we talked about is The Menu. Just not not as many good times in the theater as I had with The Menu this year. So we're going to swing back around to you, Tyler. What's your number seven? My seven was Jordan Peele's Nope. Um, nope was a movie I recently revisited and actually enjoyed a lot more on the second watch. Hmm. Um, which, rare for a movie to do that. Um, but, like, I just thought there's so many scenes where, like, there's so much tension build up. And it's just, like, i kind of a sucker for that. Where, like, you make me feel uneasy. I, I, like, I enjoy that. like And I think they did. There's so many scenes. Kind of getting spoilery here. But, like, the scene where the creature is kind of spilling blood all over the house. That was seen to me. is like, so freaked me out. And then there's one later involving uh, Steven Young's character, Jupe that like so unsettling to me and a movie that can do that to me is rare so i really appreciate that i do think this movie was kind of ruined by too many trailers you can watch uh, listen to our episode on this earlier i did go deeper into that and i wish they kind of kept it more under wraps and i think i would have enjoyed it more but i did really like this movie and on second watch i was just like wow there's a lot of this i didn't give this movie credit for that i really enjoyed even more now knowing what's going on that now that you can kind of look at the more finer details so 
Jordan Peele's Nope is mine, seventh. Yeah, his movies are so carefully and brilliantly constructed. You do get so rewarded if you watch multiple times. Uh, that's that's like my us. That's what I like to do with us is find all the things in there. Matt, what's your number seven? So Tyler, would it have made it worse if you had seen Nope in the abandoned movie theater? Or I'm sorry, the abandoned mall movie theater? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. My number seven is The Menu, which has already been talked about. Well, there's not much more I can say. Which is fine because I'm recovering from the flu, uh, but just I really love the menu. The performances were all fantastic. I, I'm all for eat the rich stuff, eat the rich, poke holes in fascism, fascism, like in my next one. Oh, can't wait for that. I, th- I think I know what it is, but I'm curious to see <laughs> if I'm right. My number six is The Banshees of Inishirin. This is Martin McDonough's tale of two friends on an Irish island who go through a friendship breakup that is not mutual. Wonderful questions of what is the best way to live life? Should you make something like music and art that lasts? Or should you just have a nice time before you die, but maybe you don't leave anything behind and nobody remembers you, or maybe they will. I don't know. McDonough, he, he just knows how to write, man. It's a perfect blend of comedy and tragedy. Within seconds, you're laughing, and then your heart is being squeezed. Colin Farrell, he, even just his facial movements are incredible acting in this. He's funny and totally sinks into this doltish guy who just wants to be friendly with everyone, shoot the bull around. So there's this like triumvirate in the best actor race for the Oscars this year of Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, and... Austin Butler, I nothing against Austin Butler. Just knock him out. Like, just please stop making me worry about it. I so like, please. D- if it was just between Brendan Fraser and Colin Farrell, I could relax because I'd be like, you know what? If either of these guys win, it's totally cool, man. It's cool with me. Um, that's just a side note. Brendan Gleeson is the grumpy, grouchy artiste counterpart. He is excellently absurd, excellently stoic. Two of the wep- two weapons of the movie. Barry Keoghan, who plays someone even more simple than Farrell's character, but he's spot on every time. He has one of the most emotional monologues of the film. And the other is Carrie Condon as Farrell's sister. Her character is the realistic middle ground of the two male poles on the ambition spectrum. She enjoys everyone around she's very nice she has a nice time with her brother but she doesn't want to rot on this island forever she has to deal with the petty squabbles of the men here and an unwanted advance from someone that she doesn't want to hurt but she doesn't want either her performance is so excellent i hope she wins best supporting actress i think the character is sneakily one of the best of the year this is on hbo max you should watch it I saw it with a crowd who loved it, and I liked it even more than I thought I would. So that is my number six, is The Banshees of Inishirin. Tyler, what's your number six? My number six is going to be a little controversial here because of the placement of another movie, but it is Pearl. Okay, actually, all right. Pearl. Um, this, I mean, Mia Goth carried this film. She was incredible for this movie. Um, to her, like you mentioned earlier, Mike, the monologue she gives... It's just a close-up of her face for, what, seven-plus minutes, yeah. I believe? And she just eats up the scene the entire time. Like, I think she should get an Oscar for this. I hope she does and get an Oscar nod. Not an Oscar, I don't know. But um, an Oscar nod for sure. So, um, just an incredible performance. Uh, done with so many, so few characters, and yet such an engrossing story of just kind of a person's descent into madness that you kind of feel for. And it's really cool that this was kind of a character that we had already known from another film. I thought that was an interesting take of, like, we kind of watch how this character got to be. And I do think... I do kind of want a bridge in between the two movies, Pearl and X, to kind of explain it even further. But that is definitely my number six. Agree with everything you said. Matt, what is your number six? Mine is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, how many movies this year had a wooden boy doing a big song and dance number about farts to uh, Mussolini? 
I'd be shocked if it's more than one. <laughs> um, besides those historical documents that they found, only the one fictional one. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I thought this movie was super charming. Uh, I knew it was... I knew I was gonna like it before it even came out, and I knew it was a clear winner of our Pinocchio versus Pinocchio episode before. <laughs> it even I think came that was out. a no contest. <laughs> that that was just a merciless, merciless beating. But um, Pinocchio, Pinocchio. <laughs> oh no, I forgot that I was supposed to be Italian. <laughs> I mean, it it wasn't flawless, but there was a, a way more good than than anything about this the animation was fantastic the stop motion was a great choice um very masterfully crafted i thought the story was another one i mean i would say it's definitely more somber than marcel but it had the same kind of general heart to it where it's got some somberness to it but it's tries to have an uplifting well not even necessarily uplifting but just a matter of fact look at life and what it means but in its matter of factness, I, I took it as uplifting, but I think it could be open to interpretation as well. Um, listen to our Pinocchio v. Pinocchio episode, the second half, um, if the you want to hear more thing. about this movie. If you... <laughs> but yeah, that's my number six. I think you articulated the comparison between the moods of that and Marcel perfectly, so that was a wonderful point. My number five is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Boo. Why was that so low? Because we can't all have the same list. <laughs> so like RRR, this is one where if you said this is the best movie of the year, I can't argue much with you. When I first saw it, I, I genuinely thought this is a special movie. It needs to be celebrated. Things like this do not come out like even within five-year spans. To be so silly, so gaudy, so garish, but so incredibly moving about apathy about feeling like your whole life is meaningless and needing to fight through that to find your own kind of grace. It's a very unique achievement. The movie is so all-encompassing that, like, my cynical, my apprehensive side that thinks that whatever the Daniels do next has to be a letdown, you know what I mean? Oh, but, yeah. like, I mean that I mean that as a compliment to this movie. Excuse me. I'll, I'll choose not to think that way, but I am a little worried. Every technical team from the visual effects to the costumes, the production design is just top notch. The editing by Paul Rogers is amazing to thread together these universes that really seem like they couldn't be more different. And he doesn't seamlessly. It's so impressive. It has the climax of climaxes where everything comes together. What a fantastic, spectacular movie. That is my number five. I suspect we'll see it again. Tyler, what's your number five? My number five is where Pearl becomes controversial. It is X. Okay, mm. all right. I, I personally liked X better because, oh my God, I've waited so long for a good slasher. It's been so many years since we had a decent... Like, Halloween, the reboot was all right. It wasn't there. <laughs> X was phenomenal. Mike, mm -hmm. you talked at length about this, so I don't want to say too much, but I loved every second of X. I loved the characters. Um... The plot of it kind of was like, oh, it's it's these porn producers. Oh, this isn't gonna be that good. But like, I like all the characters. I kind of sympathized with, felt bad for it, even how like how bad they were. Um, and like you said, you even felt bad for like the couple that was doing the killing. So like, that's impressive. And Ty West really knocked it out of the park with this one, I think. And I'm excited for Maxine. I hope it's kind of more like X than it is Pearl. But either way, I really enjoyed both of them. Well, I think it'll be interesting because Maxine wasn't necessarily a villain in X. I, yeah. You know, to see, you know, is she going to be the villain or is she going to encounter another homicidal old couple or... I don't know. I like that we know nothing about it, so I'm excited. Matt, what is your number five? My number five is Nope, which Tyler spoke at length about. I've seen... I saw this movie twice during its theatrical run. I agree that it hits different on the second viewing than the first um i'd say i liked it about equally as much but just very impressive very well shot the acting was fantastic the direction was just immaculate to me i the whole gordy sequence 
I know that's a bit of a controversial, or at least it was, I remember it being a bit controversial about why it was even necessary to the movie, but upon thinking about it and, you know, think analyzing it, I can definitely see the point that Jordan Peele was trying to go for it, and honestly, that was one of the most horrific parts of the movie, so without mm-hmm. it, the movie would have been severely lacking. It did run long. I didn't mind it. I was enjoying every minute of it. Uh, and that's why it ranks so high, and it's my number five. All right, number five is Nope. My number four, I mean, even if you guys didn't think it was coming, you knew it was coming in the back of your mind, and that's Marry Me. This is <laughs> Cat Quarrel's romantic comedy. Even for the romantic comedy genre, it's pretty light. It's like cotton candy affair, and I mean that in the best way. It's about a pop star jennifer lopez who is a pop star she's set to be married to her pop star boyfriend but he's been cheating on her she's gonna get married live on stage in front of a crowd but then she calls it off so on a whim in her wedding dress she marries a math teacher in the crowd owen wilson again this is maybe a surrogate <laughs> a surrogate dream of mine <laughs> to marry owen wilson <laughs> yeah to marry owen wilson <laughs> Uh, this movie is its sweet and it's pleasant, and I just adored it. It was everything I wanted. It made no money. <laughs> it made no money because, one, it was not super critically acclaimed. And I'm not going to make any claims that it was a great movie because it's not. But, two, the movies, these movies, romantic comedies really live on streaming services now. People are just not going to the movies to see this as much. Uh, also evidenced by by Bros, which was another movie that I forgot to mention, but I also really liked. Uh, but I, I bring this up to say it was just nice to have a candy-coated rom-com in a movie theater that I enjoyed through and through. I'll tell you what is spectacular about this movie is the music. One of the best soundtracks I've heard in years, Church, Love of My Life on my way not only marry me but the ballad version of marry me superb also robert goulet is used as an aphrodisiac in this movie enough said that's why it's on my list now how how different do you think this movie would have been if they had cast ben affleck instead of owen wilson it would have been much more meta and i would not have liked it as much I, you know, I don't want to say... Maybe I would have. Maybe I would have. I'm glad it turned out the way that it did, though. It's just a nice time with two stars that I love. It's been switching around different streaming services, but look for it if you got the time. It's really great. Tyler, what's your number four? My number four is The Northman. Robert ah. Eggers' film. I, I really like this. I love Viking epic tales, so this was right up my alley. Give me some Viking crap, and I'll eat it up. I really enjoyed this. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård was incredible, I thought. Um, just kind of in this quest for revenge that kind of takes a twist and you kind of feel for him like all, all kind of all this buildup was for nothing. It's kind of spoilery. <laughs> um, but it was just incredible. Like I thought this movie would kind of just be bogged down into like just kind of an action movie where, like, oh, it's just non-stop Viking action, which, fine, whatever, I'll take that, but uh, it was much more smartly done. Um, Eggers, I give Eggers a lot of credit. Um, this was an incredible... What was this, two and a half hours? Uh, probably. And you kind of felt the runtime, but I was engaged throughout, so there's a lot of movies this year where, like you said, Matt, or Mike, you said that all the this was the year of the two and a half hour plus movies, and some of them really dragged. This one I don't think did as bad. I was very engaged. Um, there in some incredible visuals. Anya Taylor Joy was phenomenal in it as well. Um, Nicole Kidman, great role, and it was just a really fun theater experience for me. It was two hours and sixteen minutes. Okay, which not terrible. I didn't. I didn't think it dragged either. No. I quite like that one. Matt, what is your number four? Number four, I gotta go with Glass Onion. All right. Uh, I, I personally, I had a really good theater experience with this one, and I was on board with it throughout, and I really enjoyed all the performances in it. I haven't seen Knives Out since I saw it in theaters initially, and I did not have a good theater experience for that one, so I'm wondering <laughs> if that could be coloring my opinion of this one so much. 
but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cleverly written. I like the idea of having the different perspectives of the same story. I like when when they do that in in movies. Um, I really like that they went all in on Benoit Blanc as a character. Daniel Craig looked like he was just having the time of his life playing that character. I like mm. Janelle Monet. She was really good. Um, Ryan, I honestly, I would, I think I said this on our episode about it. If not, I, I stand by this. If Ryan Johnson can keep making clever whodunits like this, um, give him another Star Wars movie. Have a clever whodunit set in like the Star Wars universe. I, I mm. bet you that would that I, I would enjoy the hell out of that. But I don't disagree. I think that would be cool. Yeah, so that's my number four. My number three has already been mentioned, and it's gonna it's gonna put a needle on the argument because my number three is Pearl. I like this one more than X. I think it is maybe speaking to the the tastes of our separate individuals, if that makes sense. <laughs> Um, it's very, it's just a very exciting release because we got X, we all loved it. And then they're like, Hey, they're doing another one in September. And we're like, September, 2023. And they're like, no, 22. And we're like, what? (laughs) And they really did. It wasn't like, Oh, we're doing it. And then they pushed it. It was like, they really did it. It's, this is, you know, strangely, it's about a, a murderous psychopath. I have to say, this is one of the movies I felt closest to this year. Like, really identified with a lot of what Pearl was going through. Not a murderous psychopath, but, you know, take that away. The other stuff. The other stuff. This movie, it's, you know, it's about our need to be recognized, to be validated in the burning humanity that festers inside of everybody. How devastating it is when we realize that other people don't view us in the same way we view ourselves. It's very uniquely rare in its honest bleakness. Mia Goth... Again, we've, we've talked about it as nauseum, but I think we should keep talking about it. It gives probably my favorite performance of the year. She co-wrote the film with Ty West. Every smile, every dance move oozes desperation from Pearl. The very long monologue she delivers adds so many layers to this character who didn't seem lucid before. I was captivated during that. I felt so much for this character who did such horrible things. And the technical aspect of this is is just amazing. Also, probably the top scarecrow of the year in movies. So <laughs> that is my number three is Pearl. Tyler, what about you? My number three is... I'm going to just hop up and start playing an air guitar to announce this. My number three is Top Gun Maverick. So this movie was just... I'm not saying this was the best acting movie or anything. This movie was just so much fun. I enjoyed this so much. This was like a blockbuster that I hadn't been to since I was a kid and had this much fun. I did not care for the original Top Gun, to be honest, um, other than the fact that I named one of my roommates, me and our other roommates, named him Goose, and it stuck for the whole year in college. That was my that was my relationship to Top Gun. So, like, I, I remember this movie was supposed to come out, like, four years ago. And, like, I felt like, oh, they must have scrapped it at some point. And I saw trailers again, and I'm like, ah, okay, it's coming out. And I didn't expect to see anything. And then I was just blown away by how much I enjoyed this. It was such a fun theater experience. Like, I saw it three times in theaters. And I loved every minute of it. Like, it was just a a thrill ride throughout. And I don't know what it was about it, but it was, like, honestly just, like, the fun you can have in a a movie. So, I loved it. All right. I got to add to that too it was one of my favorite theater experiences as well but it holds up surprisingly well at home too at least i, I have a bit of a modest setup at home it's just a sound bar and a you know like not a huge tv but sort of like it's like 55 inch or something so nothing crazy big but i got the 4k edition of it and I, watching that at home it was almost as exciting as seeing it in the theater so it holds up wow. pretty well at home too, which that's that was one of my big trepidations when it was leaving theaters. Is I don't know how much I'm gonna still like this if I can't watch it on the biggest screen possible. Hmm. But it held it up. It did. It's I'm very less curious. cinematic when it's not big. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Cinemark. Yeah, Cinemark. I'm curious if Joseph Kaczynski 
will get an Oscar nomination for a director. I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be a very, very interesting. Matt, what is your number three? My number three is Pearl. Gosh, this movie is so freaking good. Uh, Mia Goth gives such a good performance. I, I'm just going to keep regurgitating stuff that you guys said, so I'm just going to second everything and leave it at that. Yeah, everybody go watch Pearl. My number two and one, I don't feel the need to rank as one and two, but I have to for the list's sake, so here's an arbitrary order for them. My number two is Babylon. This what? is Damien Chazelle's... Ooh. No, how, no boo. How, this oh. is all celebration. I, Owen. Arbitrary, arbitrary, but you're still putting that number two? I'm very interested. Well, there's a movie that I would really like to highlight at number one. Okay. And again, it's totally arbitrary. I don't, I don't care about the numbers. These, these are my two favorite. It is Damien Chazelle's epic of Hollywood's transition from silent films to talkies. Follows several characters. They try to maintain careers, achieve some sort of personal satisfaction. It always just seems out of reach. What do I even say about Babylon? I am in love with it. It's a three-hour and ten-minute movie that I saw twice in the theater. I said it in the episode, but when I first went to see this, I was afraid I wasn't going to like it. I don't always love the way it was advertised, the hard partying movies. I most often find like hardcore partying boring on film. And not that this is this whole movie, but I love this version of it, and it's so much more than that. The second time I saw it, I was able to relax because I knew that I already looked it, and I looked more closely at all the things I admired, and it was one of the best movie experiences I've ever had in my life. This movie is so grand. It has so many masterful scenes. It's a movie I, I feel like I lived in while I was there and has a very complicated relationship with movie magic on one hand, celebrates the climactic moments that make us not just movie fans but emotional subjects of movies and on the other hand it seems to ask why why do we need that when the world around us is so insane and not only that but the real life circumstances behind behind our favorite works of art are, are so depraved and insane is the art worth it is it worth the transcendence that we get even if you haven't seen Babylon, I would encourage you to listen to our episode. I thought we had a really great discussion on that one. So that is my number two. Love Babylon. Tyler, what's your number two? My number two is one we already mentioned. That was Banshees of Inishir. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was one of the funniest movies like I'd ever seen. It was such a good tragic comedy. Like It had me genuinely laughing out loud just watching it alone, which very few movies can do. Colin Farrell was incredible. They do bits where, like, they're just literally repeating a line multiple times in it, but, like, they do it so well that it's genuinely funny. And I think it was so cool to see this um, reunion with uh, Brendan Gleeson and uh, Colin Farrell in a Martin McDonough film because I love In Bruges. Um, so it was awesome to see that, and just everyone was phenomenal. Like you said, Mike, Barry Keegan and Kerry Condon were just as supporting characters they were so good like everyone kind of stole the scene when they, they were in so it's impressive and i think all four of them should be nominated for oscars i completely agree matt what is your number two my number two is x um definitely one of my favorite movies of the year besides the one that I'm, anyone that knows me probably knows it's coming but i want to add on to something you said earlier mike about how the performances and like the way that this movie is set up, it actually makes you, it's a slasher that you can actually relate to in a, in a sense, the characters, they're not, they're not super one note. Like you feel for them for the most part. Um, and I think that's carried by pretty much all the performances in it, including Brittany snow, Jenna Ortega, of course, Mia goth again, you know, she's a pretty, uh, pretty big name of the year this year and which i'm incredibly stoked for infinity pool coming out in like a week from when we record this yeah um and maxine of course i was hyped on this movie from the first trailer when as soon as that final line came out with the sheriff and he and they're like what do you think is on that camera and he's like one goddamn effed up horror picture like that from that tagline i'm like okay i'm sold i'm i'm sitting in that seat i'm going and then it ended up actually delivering a very solid very good uh almost funny in the way that it subverts some of the typical expectations of the genre but it doesn't go too 
off the walls trying to lampoon the genre. Like it, it takes itself seriously, but not too seriously. And I just, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it very much. And I think it's really impressive that they were able to film that the whole story of them filming that and Pearl back to back in coming up with two pretty, pretty big successes on both of them. I mean, that's, I feel like that's a feat. It is two fantastic movies in a row. I second everything you say. All right. It's time for our number ones, favorite movies of the year. My number one is a movie that I think has been overlooked, which annoys me because I, I obviously I think it's so fantastic. And that's The Sea Beast. This is a Netflix animated movie directed by Chris Williams. It is a tale of a seafaring monster hunter who is the surrogate son of his ship's captain and is in line to take over the vessel. But he finds his whole way of life in question when he's thrown overboard along with a young stowaway. The animation here is amazingly beautiful. The design of the monsters, the water, the really great character designs, most of all the color. Each location has its own color theme. There's this evening scene that has a vibrant purple in the atmosphere. It makes everything come alive. I really love it so much. The story is so mature. The role of the monster hunters who are like integral to this fictional society it's called into question, right? Even though loved ones of the characters built their lives on this profession, and now it's being called into question, the movie asks, how do we honor people who have done things that were completed with noble intentions, but we now realize we're not the best course of actions, right? This is an issue we deal with all the time in society. I love that the movie dares to ask that. How do we fight against somebody we love when we have an inherent disagreement? And most of all, what I admire is that it felt like something I would have seen when I was a kid, but it improved on some things that probably wouldn't have been there years ago. And I also didn't feel as though it was like yearning from the past or like gripping for some, you know, stale nostalgia or anything like that. In fact, it's a movie focused on changing so that the future is better. Watch it on Netflix. This movie needs more advertising. It needs an Oscar nomination. I, I fear and I don't think it's going to get one, but that would be a great surprise. Uh, here it is. Watch it. The Sea Beast. That is my number one. Tyler, what is your number one? My number one is a surprise to no one. It's been my number one for quite a while now. Everything, everywhere, all at once. The movie Mike so callously put too high on his list. <laughs> I loved everything about this film. It, it was a long movie, and it did kind of feel long, and I think that's due to the fact that it has like five different endings mm -hmm. in this movie. But this is such a wacky concept, Mike, which you touched on. And it's it's such a bizarre concept. There's so many bizarre things in this film, like hot dog fingers, all that. And yet you get genuine emotion out of it. You get such a great ending. And I just felt so much during this film that like, I, I saw it three times in theaters. I've seen it once outside of theaters now. And I've loved every single time. Like It gets better with every watch. So that is absolutely my number one. All right, Matt, uh, let me see. What's your number one? Yeah, what could yours be? Well, I think we all know what it's going to be, but I forgot to tack on some honorable mentions at the beginning, so I'm going to rattle right. some off first. Do it. Um, first one I'm going to go with, and I'm going to pause for groans. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Ugh. All right, fair, fair, no. fair. The Gross. millennial Gen Z-ish slasher parody horror comedy it's not the best, but I, I had fun with it. It it was it was fun. Um, I think a lot of people liked it. The the other one another <clears throat> excuse me. Another one is Stutz, the documentary from Jonah Hill about his therapist and it's sort of that sort of turns into a bit of like an introspective look at Jonah as well as his therapist, Phil Stutz and it takes a look taking a look at it his methods and and then um kind of turns into a bit of an introspective look on jonah itself it's a very fascinating documentary i i'm not doing a good job at explaining it but it's on netflix go check it out um vengeance i know yeah. i know you brought that up mike uh very solid sort of i 
guess dram dramatic comedy. I, I wouldn't really call it a thriller. It was produced by Blumhouse, which is strange to me because it doesn't seem like your typical Blumhouse picture. But no, uh, but a I great mean, one for a directorial debut from B.J. Novak. It was very solid and had a lot of good good components to it, including our friend Grayson Barry. Grayson Barry Productions. Shout out Love to him. Grayson. Um, I got a couple more. Next one is Terrifier 2, the cult phenomena from last year that outrageously blew away his budget. It had a budget of like 250000 and I think it's made over like $10 million now, or some yeah, astronomical number. A great um, success story. One of the coolest, but like weirdest, but coolest theater experiences I've ever had. I saw it the first the first night before they started adding more showings because it was doing so well. I saw it opening night in a nearly packed out theater, like more packed than a Marvel movie packed, um, and people just going all in on this two and a half hour gruesome, crazy slasher movie. It was just one of the coolest experiences ever. Hmm. Um. And then I do want to mention After Sun, going from sort of polar opposites there, but a really yeah, cool theater experience I had. That was another one that I, like with Marcel, I felt kind of entranced by the viewing of it. Um, it was just a very nostalgic, sort of, just artistic, very visually appealing movie. I know, I know you didn't care for it as much, Mike, but I, I personally, I thought it, was, I enjoyed it for what it was, and I. Let, can I paint the scene? Yeah. It's you and I in a tiny dark theater. We watch this whole thing about this girl discovering that her father has some problems that she may, she kind of had an inkling about but didn't fully know. The movie ends. You are very clearly moved, and I was dead inside. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that, that's what I liked about the movie. What I, what I thought was a cool way to do it is that she's trying to show show the movie through uh the lens of being 11 years old and not necessarily picking up on the things that we as adults are picking up on you it's know, a great it's, movie it's a fantastic i, I movie. will not deny it yeah, i was i was really is. moved I by it I, I was not dead inside that actually that was the one day that week i wasn't dead inside <laughs> good i'm glad <laughs> uh okay so as far as movies that really don't make me dead inside Everything, everywhere, all at once is my number one. Sweet. Um, gonna second everything you guys said. I've been judging a lot of these movies on theater experience, and I do believe that's a crucial part to making a strong memory with a movie. Wherever you are, whatever your experience is, the first time you watch something, and this one was just truly special because we, me and Tyler, went out to Boston to check this one out a couple weeks before the wide release because the closest place was in Boston. Um, and that... There's, like, something about that experience and just the... Because I, I don't get to do stuff like that very often. So mm. it's just that memory of just going into the city to see this movie, and it was one of the best movies of the year, just really stuck with me. Going into the city, actually, like, off our mind. <laughs> Comparatively speaking, we do. We, we put do. on our dress clothes and we went into the city. No, but like I'm talking about, like walking through Boston Common on the way back yeah. to the car and stuff at night. Like I'd never really been to Boston Common at night like that before. And the lady that was stuck in the parking garage because she didn't have her debit card, and she was like, <laughs> told her. "She's still there." <laughs> They told her to go to the office, but the office And they say she haunts the parking garage, <laughs> searching <laughs> for her debit phantom debit card. And, like, the the dude that took the wrong turn that we were following to the highway. Oh, yeah, and then we ended up following him back in a circle. <laughs> no, but that that just... That, that in... Um, one more anecdote from that night, because a lot of wild stuff happened that night. So we're sitting in this relatively empty IMAX theater, which seeing that movie in IMAX was really cool too. And then this random lady comes in. She she looks at us. She goes, "Is this anything goes?" 
Like, I think she meant the venue. She didn't even mean the movie. She, does anything go in this theater? Well, th- I thought she was honestly asking about seating. Like, yeah. are they assigned seaters? Anything go? <laughs> That's what I thought she meant. But no, they were actually screaming "Anything Goes" at that theater at the same time. No. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, one of the coolest theater experiences of the year. One of the best movies. The best movie of the year, in my opinion, and it it does hold up. On second and third and fourth watch for sure. All right. Well, those are our top tens of the year. Stay tuned because we're going to have another episode of our second annual Silver Screen Saver Awards where we give up some some more specific accolades for things we liked in movies. But if you have a top ten or you want to comment on ours, you can shout us out anytime on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod. You can write to us at SilverScreensaversPod at gmail.com. Rate, review on whatever your podcast platform is, Apple, Spotify, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sipius and on Letterboxd at Tyler96. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet. And on Letterbox at MGALT. Well, thank you all so much. We've been so happy spending 22 with you. And we're looking forward to spending 2023 with you. We'll see you next time. Stay down to bone in 2023. And it is Anything Goes. Silver Screen Savers podcast is hosted and produced by Michael Gallett, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel. <laughs>